Anybody watch the NBA Finals? Anybody watch the NBA Finals? Okay. So, uh, watching that, I was getting prepared for the message tonight, and I was in my mind, I was like, okay, what do you tell people who gave up their time on a Tuesday night that are 18 to 30? What, what in the world do you even conceptualize to tell them that they can walk away with something that was beneficial? So, naturally, I watched the NBA Finals to get into that, into that place, and uh, I was watching that, and all throughout the Finals, specifically in game one, was the common thread of MJ versus LeBron. So now, real quick, can we do a poll, whether you know it or not? If you think LeBron's the greatest, can you raise your hand? Okay, so I, okay, so we got a couple. I like, see, I like her in the back. She knows me and Aaron know. Okay, if you think MJ's the best, raise your hand. Okay, so there's a lot more MJ fans. Larry Bird, okay, all right. That's cute. So I was watching the finals and kind of watching game one. There was a scene that I, I saw repeatedly on SportsCenter that kind of stuck out to me. It was the ending of game one where LeBron was on the bench and for about three minutes he completely just lost his mind because his teammate dribbled out the clock with a chance to win. His teammate also missed a free throw, a different teammate. And so just watching that, it was just eye-opening because here's one of the greatest basketball players to ever play the game. And he's having a moment where everything that he's battled for, everything he's fought for, just slips from his fingers. And it made me think, like, here he is, battling, doing everything he can, and yet in that moment, he realized that it was over. Before it, it was even over. There's seven games, and before it, it, was, it was even over, it was over. And it made me think, because back in 2014, I, I watched when he was back in part of the Miami Heat, he was talking about his legacy. Because when you're usually great, you're going to be compared to greats. And throughout his entire career, he's always been compared to Michael Jordan as battling for that top spot. And back in 2014, he was battling with the idea of like, okay, I have to, I have to battle this, this media presence that I'm always going to be compared to something that I'm not yet. And even in 2014, he was just, at, I think it was in the NBA playoffs at the time, he, he told media straight up, he said, you know what? The only thing I'm concerned about is showing up every day, being here for my teammates, and being the best I can possibly be. And right there, he just put all that notion. So no matter what people talk about to this day, back when he was younger, about 29 years old, he just put that in, in motion. So you know what? This is the legacy that LeBron's going to leave, not what people tell me about. And the reason I bring that up is because it brought me to our scripture tonight that I'll share out of. But uh, if, you, if you guys take notes or if you want to leave with some good knowledge, uh, I would highly encourage it because I, I did take a lot of notes here, and I think it can be really beneficial to what you guys face tomorrow. But the title of my me message is Embrace It, and not it as in Pennywise. Not, he's not coming out of nowhere. Like it as in capital I-T parentheses. And I will describe what that is in a second. But before I do, I just want to read our scripture and really just get into a mode here. Uh, anyone know who David is? I think he's one of the most popular, popular people in the Bible, known for David and Goliath. And I was reading the scripture, and to loop it all around, it came to this point, was I was reading in 1 Samuel chapter 20, and the whole idea of embrace it. Embrace something that you've been running away from. Embrace that one thing where no matter what you've been facing, there's that one thing that is always around the corner looking out for you, looking to get you. Something that you know deep down that probably no one else knows about you, there's that thing, and it made me think, going into the scripture of, what does it mean to embrace it, embrace that thing that we always hide from people, run away from? So, if you guys have your Bibles or your cell phones, I highly encourage you to follow along, and if not, I will read, and I will try to do it quickly, so that way, 
we can get into the mind of David. So here we go. 1 Samuel chapter 20, starting in verse 24, goes as follows. So David hid in the field, and when the new moon feast came, the king sat down to eat. He sat in his customary place by the wall opposite Jonathan. And Abner sat next to Saul, but David's place was empty. So real quick, the context here. Uh, back in a couple chapters, so David beats Goliath. All of a sudden, all this notoriety starts coming upon David. And Saul is the king currently in place, but he's been prophesied by the prophet Samuel earlier in the chapters that his kingdom was going to be torn away from him because twice in his life he refused the call of God, refused to be obedient to what God called him to accomplish. So here the context is David is now being attacked by Saul. Two chapters in a row, Saul is being tormented by the devil, constantly throwing spears at David. And David is sitting here, okay, I have a choice to make. I need to either like stay and possibly risk my life or leave. So here's the context of that, of where we're at in verse, I think we'll just jump into 27. So they're, they're having dinner, but David isn't there. But the next day, the second day of the month, David's place is empty again. Then Saul said to his son, Jonathan, why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered, and Jonathan in this case is David's best friend. David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in his town and my brother had ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. This is the voice of David narrated by Jonathan. That is why he has not come to the king's table. Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, now I, listen to this verse. Everyone says the Bible's irrelevant, but I argue with that because here's Saul angry at the dinner table. You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Weird. That, that, I, I mean, that, that translates to a current day word that I, probably isn't safe for the premises, but you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Interesting. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame? And here's Saul being the king, the, just the man of men. And to the shame of your mother who bore you, does not take any responsibility that, you know, his son is completely rebelling against him, blames it on the mother. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Why should he be put to death? Jonathan said. What has he done? Uh, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. I'll just paraphrase here. Essentially, Jonathan, actually, no, Jonathan gets up from the table. And this entire time, him and David conspired before to have David hide in a field. So at this moment, David is telling Jonathan, his best friend, hey, your dad is trying to kill me straight up. I, I don't know what I did. All I did was kill, his, you know, kill the one man that was in his way, and here he is, he's trying to kill me. John's like, no, 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 that's not my dad. That's not who he is. But you're, David's like, okay, you want to see? See what I had to feel. And here, D Jonathan gets a spear thrown at him. Same way David did. So now David's in the field waiting. Now before all this, Jonathan told David, okay, hide behind the rock on the south side of the rock in this massive field. I'm going to shoot three arrows. Three in the, in the Bible represents grace. I'm going to shoot three arrows. If I shoot it to the side of you, that means you're safe. I talked to my dad. You're good to stay. But if it goes beyond you, it's time to run because my dad is trying to kill you. Well, lo and behold, as we go through this, the rest of these verses, uh, we'll just go right here into verse 40. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said, go carry them back to town. This is after he shot it, and he shot it over David. So therefore, David knows it's time to run. For verse 41. After the boy had gone, David got up from the south side of the stone and bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. Then they kissed each other and wept together, but David wept the most. Jonathan said to David, to close this narrative, go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord is witness between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left and Jonathan went back to the town. All right, a lot of scripture, it's going somewhere. Stay with me here. So 
when, we, when I was thinking of the message here, the reason that this stood out to me is because my, my whole goal, whenever, this, this is the second time I've held a microphone in my hand, and I've always known since I've grown up, okay, this would be something that would be my life, is communicating the gospel, whether it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation or whether it's to a crowd of people. And when I was thinking, okay, what can I say? What can I even talk about that would connect to people our age? And it, I've always been under the mindset, if you want to talk to someone about something, talk to yourself about it first. And so this is an, this is an issue, almost a, a prerogative that I've battled my entire life. And I feel like the lessons that I've been learning recently in my life can be translated directly to you guys. So when you embrace it, let, let's just break that down real quick. Embrace it is essentially saying if when you go let's new year's resolutions you know you, you everyone comes in the new year's there's a goal to be accomplished but what happens before the goal's set you realize something needs to change in you so a lot of time that's our weight issue so we'll say okay i need to lose weight and go to the gym what happened in that mind mindset we realized okay something is wrong with me and it has to change well here in this in this pro in this narrative here David is in a place right now where he's, he's embraced the fact that you know, even when he did what God told him to do, someone else was trying to kill him. And he, he embraced it, but Jonathan, his friend, didn't. And because of that, we got this part of scripture. And I want to talk about the three things that we need to do in order to embrace the things that, and when I say things, I'm talking one specific thing. I know, I know for a fact Every single one of us has one thing that has always hindered us from the places that we were called to be by God. Whether it, maybe it's a bottle. We can't drop the bottle. Maybe it's a drug addiction. Maybe it's the fact that we can't stop gossiping about that one person. Maybe it's the fact that we're always single and we're stuck in this identity issue. Maybe it's the fact that we have pornography addictions and no matter where we go, we're always tempted by lust. Maybe it's the fact that this relationship, I can never get out of it. It's abusive. But something about, I just, I'm stuck. And it made me think, why, why are we stuck? Why, why do we go throughout our entire lives and just never beat these things, these one things that are in our hearts? It's because we, in my mind, we never embrace it. We always, we know it's there, but we never show up to the battlefield ready to fight. We're just, you know, it's always going to be there. Well, in this scripture, I think it, it kind of gives a good idea of what it means to embrace it. So uh, to, go about, to go about that, the three things. If you want to win, I broke them down because I like to be kind of witty. There's three things you have to do to win, and I broke it down by the letter. So the first thing you have to do to win, to overcome that thing, that it, that's always around the corner, just right there. To the first thing you have to do is to have a witness. You need to have a witness. So a witness, the definition I have here is a person who sees an event, typically a crime or accident, that takes place. So a witness is, you know, you fill out the witness report, you're there, you were part of it. Whenever, if you guys have ever filled it out, I've seen a, a weird thing in downtown Boise a couple years ago. I had to fill out a witness report. A taxi cab got beat up. It was a taxi cab driver. is ridiculous. It's weird. But had to fill out a witness or I was there. So the cops had to come to me and say, okay, what happened? You were there. In this story right here, you have Jonathan being a witness for, for David. See, you, you can't go through life and only just have people around you that see what you're facing, but you need, if you really want to embrace it and overcome the things that are just hindering you from becoming the person you're called to be, you need to have someone that's actually there to witness it with you. So Jonathan, I'm going to jump back into 1 Samuel chapter 31 here and just reread that. Give me one second here. Okay, 31. Where are you at? There it is. Okay. 
31. So don't I, okay, so here we go. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father, but Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then Jonathan knew that the father intended to kill David. In that moment, just put, put yourself in the shoes of Jonathan. Here's your best friend. He's telling you something that you can't believe. In this case, it was David telling him that his father was trying to kill him. In our cases, it's, hey, um, you know, Jerry, I'm dealing with X, Y, or Z. And you're, you're, that's your best friend. You're like, no, I, what? No, come on, come on. You, that can't be the case. But here we are in this story, and we're, we're thinking, okay, it's, not, it's one thing to just tell someone. It's another thing to have someone be there and be empathetic to what you're fighting. And in this narrative, we have Jonathan as a witness. And the question I want to ask you guys is, who was your witness in your life? Who was that one person that you can go to that you can tell exactly what you're facing? And not, not these minor issues that the church or culture will try to tell you that is a problem. I'm talking about these things that we put our masks on. Who are you going to turn to? And a lot of times I think we go through life and we don't have that witness, that person by our side to say, hey, this is what I'm battling. This is what I'm dealing with. And in order to embrace it, to really overcome that thing that you've been battling, you need to have that person by your side. And I find it funny because a lot of times, when I'm right here in the scripture, it talks about how Jonathan shot arrows. And in this, in this part, he's saying that the arrows are basically a warning to David. Well, my question to you guys is, who is the witness? So let's say you do have a witness. Is that witness shooting arrows at you or at your enemies? See, a lot of times, I think we... We start putting our trust, and that's why a lot of us get hurt, is because we start putting our trust in people without really getting to know them. You see in the scripture, Jonathan and David, they kissed before David left. They were brothers. They were brothers in arms, and they made another covenant in the upcoming chapters. They were friends. They were more than that. They were brothers, and because of that, they were wearing each other's emotions on their sleeves, and it showed through it. So I want to challenge you guys in, in this moment that if you want to embrace that thing that's always been holding you back, that's always in your way, start with finding a witness. Start by finding someone to go to. And how do you do that? Well, I could give the churchy answer and say, well, Jesus, give me that friend. That's the start. you got to start that way. But I think a lot of it is just you have to be open. You have to constantly be pivoting your position and say, okay, this person may not be, like, ideal, but they have gone through X, Y, and Z. Or maybe this person hasn't gone through this, and maybe I need that. And it's constantly positioning yourself and saying, okay, what's going to be best for me? What do I feel God has called me to do? What is, what's the gifts he's given me? And how do I turn to that person and trust that God has put them there rather than going through life and saying, nope, you're not good enough. Nope, you, you're too bad. Nope, I'm too bad. I can't, you're too good for me. And being open to the opportunity that maybe, just maybe, there's someone out there that you can actually turn to, and that's not going to be shooting arrows at you. That's, that's, that's such a big thing. In that part, he's, David's shooting his arrows, basically leading, uh, Jonathan's shooting the arrows, leading David to his calling. And you want to find someone. A lot of that is trusting God to help you find that individual, but who's going to be that person that leads you to your destiny? And um, there, I kind of came up with this. The enemy, the, the way he's going to attack this part is he's going to put you in isolation. He's going to give you pride or he's going to give you negative influences in your life. So if those are, three, those are three things, if you have that, if you feel like tonight, yeah, you showed up, there's a crowd around you, but you feel alone, you're isolated, boom, right there. You, you don't feel like you're, good, like you're good enough, you're in the right place to be with someone to turn to. Maybe you have pride, maybe you're too good for that person to turn to. You're like, you know what, I'm going to fight it, I'm going to do my thing, but when pride's in the way, I'll, I'm, I'll elaborate on what happens when you let that happen. So the second thing you need to do to win, to overcome it, to embrace that thing, 
So you need to have imagery. So are any of you guys creative? Who, who's here that like dances, draws, takes photography, anybody like that? Okay, we got a couple in the back, okay. Well, that was loud. Um, so this part I think is super interesting because if you're a creative mind, a lot of times you approach your work and you say, okay, it's a blank canvas. I need to create something out of nothing that depicts the emotions in my heart. And whether, whatever avenue or channel you do that, it's kind of your way of expressing to the world kind of your feelings, your, your emotions. And I think imagery is so important because when we have these things that are, are always that, that thing, right? It's, it's uh, like thing one, thing two, and what is that? Dr. Seuss, whatever, that little thing. They're always with you, right? No matter where you go, they're that baggage. And how do, you, how do you even acknowledge it and get rid of it is you need to have a picture of your future. And so many times, I think as young adults specifically, we get lost in the minutia of day-to-day -day fun, day-to-day -day spontaneous things. And I've always been a guy that has had zero fun. I grew up in a Romanian household. I grew up with the strictest parents you'll ever meet. And everything and everything was sin. And you don't touch that. You don't do that. And so I grew up in a fear-based mindset. So my DNA is a little different. I'll walk into a situation. I'm like, I have no idea how to have fun. All I know is how to accomplish a goal. And you have other people who are like, you know what? Woo! Yeah, like, screw priorities. We got this. Woo! You know, like, this will last forever. 30's not going to change anything. Okay. You know, like, that's, we got those two types of people. And I think either, no matter the side of the fence you're on, it's going to be a battle. The, the, uh, there's a part I'll jump into. I'm going to jump, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. But you have to have imagery. And the reason I brought that creativity is because you need to have a, a, a way to access your mind. And a lot of this comes from encounters with God. And because we'll go through our lives and that pride starts to kick in. We say, you know what, this is the life I think I should do. When in reality, the moment you hear from God is the moment you start depicting what your life is about. And why do young adults have such a hard time finding their purpose and finding their calling is because they're not coming to the place where say, God, you wrote my story. You conceived me out of, like, you know, you're, you're, my DNA is made specifically for something you plan me to accomplish. And the longer we don't imagine our lives God's way, the harder it is for us to overcome that thing that we're battling. So what made it easy for David, because he was in a situation where he just accomplished something for God's will, and he's running away. He's running away. Why was he running? Because he, he had to, but in, in a sense, but he, he knew that God, God had him. God had him. First Samuel 16, 12 through 13. This is, this is when David was anointed by Samuel. So Samuel, he, he sent for him, which is David, and had him brought in. He was glowing with wealth and had a fine appearance and handsome features. So this tall, dark, and handsome, right? Probably not. Scholars say he was a redhead short boy, but, you know, that's why we have imagination and imagery. <laughs> We've got a witness back there, right? <laughs> so then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Why did David find it so easily to, why, why did he find it so easy to battle Saul? To say, you know what, like, I'm going to be running for a season, but I know that God's got me. Why? Because he was anointed by God. And for myself personally, I have, I've gone through seasons in my life where, where I've had prophetic people tell me, what God was going to do with my life. And it seemed unimaginable, but I've always had the sense in my heart, like, you know what, no matter what my life direction turns, I have a goal, I have a narrowed vision, and no matter what gets thrown my way, I know I'm going towards that place. And not a lot of people do that. Not a lot of people get to that place with God where God shows that to them. And David, in this, in this period here, he had that with God, and it led to him accomplishing his purpose. So 
when you're battling that thing, just right now, just picture what is that thing? You all know it. I know you do. Let's not play pretend. We all have it. What is it? Bring it up here. Focus on it. What's that thing that you're trying to run away from? And imagine your life without it and with it going forward. Put yourself at 45 years old. Is that thing going to jeopardize everything you're working for now? Or is it going to propel you to what you're supposed to be doing? And when you imagine your life in a larger spectrum, it makes it a lot easier to embrace it and say, wow, I can't just keep ignoring this forever. Something's got to change. Something's got to happen in my life where if I don't fix it now, my life could completely be jeopardized at 45. People in my circle could be losing their purpose because of my selfishness, my lack of wanting to battle this. And when you think like that, when you start having that mindset, it's hard to keep it around. You, it's hard to let that thing continue to stir up in your heart when it's there. So the last thing that you need to do to win, to overcome in this, in this area, to embrace it, this is kind of an interesting concept. You need to have nobility. Nobility. So you need to have a witness. You need to have Im imagery. You need to have nobility. If you spell that out, it spells win. Nobility is an interesting thing. Um, who was good at, uh, like, I loved history, but, I, I mean, I loved every great, every kind of class you could take, but who loves history? Anyone like history buffs? Okay, we got a couple of them. So nobility is an interesting concept where it was a social class in like the arist what, how, how do you pronounce it? Aristocracy government. So essentially that picture uh, England. So they have their royalty and then they have all their social classes under it. Nobility is the social class directly underneath the royalty line in the aristocracy type of government. And the reason I think nobility is such an, a powerful, probably the most important thing you need to have and be aware of when you start battling these things that are constantly tripping you up, when you have nobility, it essentially is the thing that, uh, you know, when someone says you're noble, it means you're high in character, you're unselfish, you're always doing something right. But more importantly, it's an, a noble was someone that was anointed, you know, like uh, I just recently watched Shrek and like he did that. It stabbed the dude in the head. You know, that, that move right there, that's how royalty anointed the nobles of their kingdom. And they, they, were, they were people that were highly regarded. They had, they had more power, more authority over the rest of the social classes, but they weren't royalty. They were just directly aligned with it. And nobility is so important because it, it gives you authority. See, we go through our lives, we think, man, that thing. So I'll be honest, I'll, I'll be honest. Mine was pornography. So a lot, some of you may know that, some of you probably don't. Mine was pornography, and I think a lot of guys today are is the number one thing that, that is their battle. That was my it. I've never, I've, I've, I've never done anything, like, as far as drinking. I've never gotten high. I've never gotten drunk. I've never, but pornography since I was 13 years old was the one thing that was my it. And there would be seasons where I'd be high, and there'd be seasons where I was low. And the moment I'm like, oh, man, three weeks, I'm on fire the biggest crash I would have. And it's this constant roller coaster. And every single time on, when I would be falling in my purpose, I could see God's anointing continue to show through my life. People would come out of nowhere, man, you're, you're, you, you're so good. Like you're, you're encouraging, you're loving, like, and they would just come out of nowhere and just, just keep giving me that feedback that I would need to hear, like say, okay, God, you're doing something in my life that I can't describe, but it's making an impact. But in reality, the moment we get to that place, complacency hits and we drop back down. And I think nobility is an interesting concept because it's the one thing that when you start going with your mind, like, you know what, I have power in this, you can, start, you can start going to the battlefield with confidence. You don't have to just sit in your place and say, okay, this is it for me. Like, I can actually achieve the victory here with nobility. So I want to talk about John chapter 18, verse 10 through 12. Uh, Jesus in the scripture is right before he 
gets handed over to the Romans. And here uh, the verse goes, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put Put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. I'm going to repeat that verse. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Here Jesus, he has a calling. He has something that has been promised to him by God to fulfill, which was for, for our sake, saving us from our sin. And in that moment, he had a choice. I could either... I could either try to battle this and try to do it my way, or I can embrace what's about to happen and fulfill God's purpose for my life. And in that verse, he exemplified nobility because he, was, he did the right thing when it was hard to do it. He was the bigger person in that situation. And when you start evaluating the thing that's battling you, so for my battle, it was, you know what, I, I'm, man, I, I can't do this because that's, that's my stand. I have to raise my standard because I'm trying to impact people. This can't be the standard I live at. That was the part of the mindset. But more importantly, it's like, you know what? Just like the kings did to the nobles back in the day, Jesus has come into my life and he has anointed me royalty with this verse right here. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are priests. We are part of the lineage of royalty. And when you start looking at your battles and your things that are holding you back and the thing that you can't beat, how do I beat it? You simply just look at yourself in the mirror and say, I am royalty. I am priesthood. God gave his blood for me so I could face this with authority. So you know what? I don't have to lose to that. That doesn't have to be around in my life. I can beat that. I can finally beat that because God beat it for me. God beat it for me. So there's a couple more points here I want to touch on and then we'll pray it out and close it up. Uh, David was running. This is an interesting concept to me. What happens when we continue to run away from that thing, from it? The three things I found that David did, he procrastinated his promise. Essentially, he said, you know what? Even though David was in the right here, David had to run away to save his life. He still, he knew God promised him the kingdom, but he had to run away. He had to run away because it was for his safety. And what did he do? He procrastinated his promise. He spent, multi, he spent multiple months running away from Saul thinking he was going to get killed. When in reality, he already knew the outcome. He just ha- didn't have the faith in that moment to face it and embrace it. The second thing that will happen when you start running away from that thing that you're, you're supposed to battle and embrace is you'll lose sight of who you are. So many times, why do we have identity issues? Why do we always have these things where our culture is struggling with identifying who we are, where we have genderless birth certificates? What is that? Because when we're running, there's these things that, that, that God has given us, these, these temptations, these battles, and it's basically our job to decide, okay, am I going to run or am I going to have faith that God's going to take care of this? And when you don't take care of it, you're going to start losing who you are. Back in the, in the scripture, as it kind of goes through, David was running. He came into a town and had to act crazy or else he was going to get arrested. Saul's people were there, and they were like, aren't you David? He's like, nope. Saliva running down is acting crazy acting crazy to avoid it. What did he do? He lost sight of the king. He's a king. And at one point in his life, had to act like nothing. Had to act crazy to avoid being in trouble. The last thing that will happen when you start running is you'll hurt others in the process. In the scripture, David came to a town called Nob and he went to a priest for help. He went to the priest and the priest essentially was like, okay, I, I, everything you're saying I must believe is true because you're, you're David, gave him bread, gave him uh, Goliath's sword, and left him on his way. Well, Saul came out of, after some time, Saul came, approached that priest, his name was Achimelech, and said, Achimelech, did you help David? He said, yes, but this is the reason why. He told me he was 
doing X, Y, and Z. Well, lo and behold, Doug, uh, there's this guy named Doeg was a servant of Saul that Saul that saw that that conversation happened between David and Achimelech, and Doeg killed 85 priests that day. What happens when you run from that thing? You're going to hurt people along the way, whether you realize it or not. David didn't know. He had, there was one guy that escaped that and ran to David and said, David, because of what you did running away, everyone in my family's dead. Everyone's gone. And when there's that thing, for me, it's like I'm hurting my future wife when I do that thing. I'm hurting the people around me. I'm hurting the people that need help, but here I am. I don't even know how to help myself. And when we start running away, we just continue to put ourselves back when God's like, you know what? No, I called you to win. You accepted Jesus. You follow Jesus. You give your life to him. I want you to win. I don't want people that are slaves to, to mediocrity, to sin. I want you to win because how am I supposed to establish my kingdom if you don't? That's what happens when you run. And I want to talk about the last part here. What does it look like when you overcome it? What does it look like when you overcome it? The first thing that happens is you acknowledge your need for Jesus. You see, like, we can go, whether you know him or not, I think most of us do, but if you don't know Jesus tonight, you know, we can battle all day long. We can get in apologetics. We can f try to figure out who's right, who's wrong. At the end of the day, I want you to look yourself in the mirror and ask, uh, if I don't have Jesus, who else do I have? Because um, I'm 20 or I'm 18 or I'm 35. I've tried it. I fought, but I have not won. What is happening? Well, I don't know, friend. I don't know what to tell you other than the fact that maybe, just maybe, there's a turn that you need to make and say, Jesus, I can't fight it on my own. I need you to fight it for me because you're the only one that will. Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 10. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given in me, the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, God, take this thorn away from me. This is hurting me. Every day I wake up, it's there. I can't get rid of it. And Paul, Jesus told Paul, God told Paul, you're not, it's not leaving. It's there. And Paul embraced it. He's like, fine, I'm going to stop trying to fight you on this. It's there. Why did Jesus want it there? Because it's his thorn. It's his, it's his way to tell people, this is what I battled. This is what I fought through. It's still there. It's a part of me. But look at me, when I gave my life to Jesus and I pursued him, look at me, I'm free. I overcame it. And it's going to always be there. That thing you're battling, it's always going to be a part of your flesh. But it doesn't have to be your victor. Tonight can be a night where we go into the rest of the year. It's summer, it's fun, it's beautiful outside. But look, we, have a, we are not guaranteed tomorrow. And right now is an opportunity for each and every one of us to look deep in our minds and say, I've been battling this. I have no idea how to beat it. I've been struggling. People talk down to me. People are throwing spears at me. People are shooting arrows at me. I just don't know how to go overcome this. I just have this fear that's always going to be there. Well, what, what are we waiting for? It's, it, embrace it. Embrace that it's going to be there. It's never going to leave. Only difference is, and this is where I close and land the plane. Jesus embraced the consequences so that we could overcome the sin. Simple as that. I want to say that one more time. Jesus embraced the consequences so that we could overcome the sin. Friends, I'm going to tell you right now that I think a lot of us have made this decision, but I want tonight to be a night where you'll look back and say, man, that was, a, that was a refresher. I've been complacent on my walk. I've been battling these things. I don't know why I can't win, but tonight was the night where I looked myself in the mirror and said, you know what? 
I'm just, I'm going to put it all down. Jesus, you're the only way. The blood that ran down your cross is my saving grace. And every step I take, it's going to be a sign to the people that I have a thorn. I have that thing that people know me about, and it's always been talked down. But God says, you are a king and you are a priest. That thing that is in your heart that I put there, that gold, that vision, that purpose, it's there. Just go chase it, but you need to embrace it. You need to embrace that you're not going to win this without me. That's the bottom line. You will not win this without Jesus. And tonight can be that night. Tonight can be the night, man, I've been lazy. Man, I don't even know Jesus. But something about this dude that I've, maybe I've never even met before just told me he had a pornography addiction. Why? Because I have been serving Jesus for my entire life. And every time I would sin, I would come to my, I would be in my, my room or most likely at home and just, I'd go on my knees and I'd just, I'd just collapse. Be in my shower, collapse. I'm like, God, this is not who I am. This is not who I want to be. God, I'm sorry. Everything I've done, it's, it's not, you know my heart. And God said, man, just, I believe in you. Do you believe in you? Do you believe that I'm in your heart? And tonight, as the band can come forward, and we can land this plan and close the right way, what does your heart say? Because after all this, we'll have root beer, we'll have a good rest of our night. But when you go tomorrow, what is your heart saying? I can't read your heart. That's the only thing Jesus wants right now in this moment is your heart. It's for you to acknowledge, like, you know what? I'm done. God, I'm done. Take it. I can't. It's going to be a thorn. It's going to be painful. But here it is. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. The weaker you are, the more powerful God can show himself through you. Why are we fighting? Why are we always battling that it? Just embrace that it's there and say, Jesus, take it. I'm done. I'm going to wake up tomorrow, whether I sinned last night, whether I'm going to sin tomorrow, I'm going to wake up right now in this moment. I'm going to come to church in this moment. I'm not going to take you for granted. I'm going to say, God, this is your time. I give it all to you. The cross is right there. The blood is running down. Jesus, I'm sorry, and I repent. Take it away from me. Take that, just that guilt and that shame. You made me good enough. And even when people call me at my lowest, you see him at my highest because of what Jesus did. What Jesus did. So don't take that for granted tonight. Don't take that for granted. If you're battling, share it with someone. There's witnesses all around you. This is a ministry. This is an opportunity to meet someone for the very first time and tell them, hey, this is what I'm battling. Have an imagination. Have imagery. Stop looking at your life like tomorrow. I know I just said we're not guaranteed tomorrow, but it is foolish to not look at our lives and say, God, you made me for something bigger. I'm more than just a nine to five. I'm more than just a struggling bus. I'm more than just a, just a drunkard on Saturday night looking forward to, to Monday. That's not the truth, but you're looking toward, forward towards Friday. Whatever it is, whatever you're battling, you're, more, you're made for more. And the last thing is have nobility. Have that sense of authority and priesthood. Say, God, you made me, Jesus. You put your cloak of righteousness on my heart. And that, that, that was one last point, and I'll close. When, when the victory happened, Saul, uh, David beat Saul in that moment. It was 1 Samuel chapter 24. Saul, David's hiding in a cave. Saul comes into the cave to pee out of all things and to relieve himself. And here's all, all David's people, kill him. Here's your time. Here's your moment. And David says, no, 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 no. I don't touch the Lord's anointed. I don't care if he's sinning. I don't touch him. That's not my job to decide who and who not gets killed, who, who, who or who not. I judge. All I'm going to do is just approach him. And what did David do? He ripped off a corner of Saul's robe. And the robe in the Bible exemplifies the middle kingdom. You have the high kingdom, middle, and the inmost. The middle kingdom is where God and humanity meet. That was Jesus. Jesus, for us, is the robe. And what happened in that moment was David grabbed the robe, ripped off the corner of Saul's robe, and said, I could have killed you, but God be our witness. Let him decide who should be king. And in that moment, 
in that moment, I got to read this. I got to read this. I'm sorry if I'm going over time. Typical thing to do. In that moment, here it goes. Chapter, uh, verse 19 in first chapter 24. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. This is Saul talking to David. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. He ripped the robe. And in that moment, David ripped the robe and basically ripped the kingdom away from Saul. And what did David do? This is the thing that was battling me, but I'm going to be gracious. Just like Jesus was gracious to me, I'm going to be gracious to it. And you know what? Something great is going to come out of it. And that led to Mephibosheth, which would be happening in 2 Samuel, the, a paralyzed boy eating at King David's table. What happens when we have these things that are constantly chasing us? It's an opportunity to show grace towards it the way Jesus showed grace towards us. Because at the end of the day, it's going to lead people to what they were promised. It's going to lead people closer to their calling of God. And you're going to be a vessel for, for people to finally find the truth. You guys us. We're the messengers. We're the called people. Let's stop taking our lives for granted. Let's stop battling in the minutia of our sin, and let's start overcoming it tonight. Look to the cross. These guys are about to invite Jesus. They're about to invite Jesus. Take this moment. Don't lose sight of it. I don't care if there's 10 of us, one of us, or 55,000 of us. This is our moment to finally say, you know what, God? You've called me. I'm done living my life this way. Even if I've called you before, I'm going to call you again. I'm going to lay it all down, and you're going to use my life. I am something different. I am something special, and I'm done wasting my time. I'm going to step up because I am royalty, I am priesthood, and whether it happens today or whether it happens when I'm 75, I'm going to leave a legacy just like MJ.